Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you go to Matthew 13. If you don't, don't worry about it. I'm going to read uh, a good chunk. It's a story. It's intended to be listened to and to be heard. And, uh, and then any relevant things I'm going to put right on this screen right here. Uh, but we have, <laughs> we have so much to get to today. I know I said that a lot of times, but legitimately, we have so much to get to today that um, we just, we have to get into Matthew 13. No funny opening jokes, just Matthew 13. I know that's what you guys come here for. You're just like, oh, Sean's the funniest guy I know. But Matthew 13. Okay, here we go. You ready? Matthew 13, verse 24. It says this, Jesus presented another parable to them Saying, now remember, last week we talked about this, a parable is a simple story with a single point, okay? Simple story with a single point. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skip down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds. And went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said, The one who sows good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the son of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man it will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and, th and, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And you're sitting there going, oh, great. Hell week. Some of you, it's your first time. Some of you logged online for the first time and you're like, this? I told someone before service that I was gonna be teaching on hell today and they go, well, I mean, at least you're not talking about tithing. So there's that. So that's a win, right? But today, today, we, we've committed, just so you know, like I don't, I don't like, I'm like, you know what I'd really like to talk about in the middle of October, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, right before an election? I'd really like to talk about hell, right? I mean, it may kind of feel like it in your life right now, um, but we, we're reading through the book of Matthew, and this is just where we come to today. So before we dig into this, I, I want to tell you a story, okay? Because I just want to ask you to be patient with me for the next 25 minutes, but I wanna begin with telling you a story. So um, last week I told you a story about my daughter. She's seven, her name's Brooklyn, right? And then I have a son and his name's four. And so to be fair, you know, I told a story about Brooklyn last week. I'm gonna tell a story about Luke this week. Now Luke is um, 
just a train wreck in a body about this big. Uh, our previous house <laughs> has a dent in the sheetrock because there was a staircase that went like this, then a landing, and then a staircase. And Luke, at about two and a half years old, came down the staircase, and his head, you know, two-year-olds, their head are bigger than their body, so they kind of get out in front of him, you know what I'm saying? And so he came stumbling down the staircase, and he stumbled across the platform, and he hit his head right on the sheetrock, just poof. And he left this mark, and he hit his head in the sheetrock, and he stands up, he kind of looks around, and they turn and walk down the steps. Like, that is my son. He's just a bulldozer in everything he does. He is everything you can imagine about a little boy. He loves breaking things. He loves smashing things. He just throws things for no reason, right? He just is holding something, and he just chucks it. So don't ever give him your phone or an iPad or a sheet of glass or anything, because he'll just throw it, Right? And so my son loves playing with stuff and, and making a mess, and he just loves being in the dirt. And um, so what happens when you have a son or a kid that loves playing in the dirt is, um, you know, he, we've tried to convince him that we, plant, that we have um, bark dust so that we can, uh, you know, suppress weeds and maintain moisture for the plants. He doesn't believe us. He believes it's a, it's a sand pit to play in, right? And so what happens when you play in bark chips is you get slivers, right? And so my son will get slivers, and he'll come in, and, and, and you know, he's got a sliver, and, and he'll want me to get the sliver out. And, and you know, occasionally you can just kind of grab it with your fingernails and get it pulled out, but occasionally you got to pull out the, the tweezers. Now, what is, it, what is it about? My kids had never seen tweezers before. I pulled the tweezers out of, like, the little emergency thing, and they immediately know deep in the bones, in the marrow of their bones, that these are instruments of torture, Right? It's just God built it in their DNA. And so, but we sit him down and sit at a table and I learned some good things from my dad. So one of them was that, you know, when you're taking, um, uh, when you're taking slivers out, you don't let him see it, right? So my son sits here and I have him put his arm out and I kind of put his arm under mine and I got it right here. And then, I, you know, I learned this too from my dad. I poke it a couple times. And, and then when he goes, ow, 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 you go, I'm not even touching it, Right? I'm not above lying to my kids. So, but I go to pull that sliver out, right? And this is what you would hear. If you walked by my house on a summer day with the door open, this is what you would hear from down the hall. Ow, 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 no daddy, don't, ow, right? And your first thought would be, I need to find a different church, right? <laughs> Whatever's going on in there is not good, but... If you were to walk into my house, instead of hearing what you think is like torture, right, you would see a loving father caring for a son. And so I, when we talk about hell today, we're going to have a conversation about hell today. I, I want to encourage you, just like the disciples did. Did you see in verse 36? This is just a, a, a kind of an unimportant detail. But it says, he left the crowds, went into the house, and the disciples came to him. Is, that, is, is to come into the house and to see what's really going on. Because what most of us have developed is our theology around hell. You may not acknowledge that you have a theology of hell. That may seem too formal. But what most of us have developed as an understanding of hell is more like a Disney story, right? That there's heaven and they, there's clouds and there's babies in diapers playing harps and there's a gate and St. Peter's waiting for you at the gate and when you die, your, your soul kind of floats out, like this is what we see in the movies, your soul kind of floats out of your body and 
drifts off and you look down at the people and go, bye suckers, right? Good luck with the election, have fun, right? <laughs> and you just float away. And then the, the bad people, right? The bad people, they go down into this place that's like under the earth and somehow maybe if you were to dig enough, you could find this, this room of torture, that, that there's this space where God just tortures and there's demons who just like poke at people and pull people's nails out and, and, and give them manicures and pedicures and jam them with that little wooden stick that they do on the cuticle. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. I had a pedicure one time. That is torture. That is stupid right there. And they just take the little piece of wood and they just jam it up under into your flesh, right? Uh, and <laughs> A lot of us, this is the idea, and, and so before we get into this conversation on hell, I just want to ask you, I want to ask you to be patient and to let the scriptures speak, because most of the time when we think about hell, what we've formulated as our idea of hell has just come from a bunch of random snippets. A little thing we saw in a movie that we thought, oh, that makes sense. A little verse, you know, like a verse of the day popped up. You know, maybe it was Revelation, Revelation, 21A, 21A, liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, 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 right? Maybe that was your theology, right? You just pick up these like little things all in these weird places. And maybe it was from sermons that weren't even about hell, but they made it like a little comment and you went, oh, oh, and you, you came up with all these ideas. But I, I want to, I want to encourage us in this moment as Jesus is talking about hell, because Jesus, remember, a parable is a simple story with a single point. Jesus is answering for the disciples and for us the biggest question, I would argue, the biggest question that any religion or worldview or philosophy has to deal with. What do you do with evil and brokenness in our world? This is the question that this parable is intended to answer. Everyone has to figure, because every single one of us looks out into the world and sees that there are things that are not the way they should be. We just know it. We don't even always know how to explain that it's not the way that it should be. And if someone pressed us and they're like, well, why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? You'd just be like, I don't know. You're an idiot. It's wrong. Like we all know it's wrong. And Jesus is trying to give us an answer for what to do with the evil and brokenness and darkness and abuse and wickedness and hatred and violence that we see in this world. And so, if I, I'm not big into titling sermons, but if I was to give you a title of a sermon, I, I probably would have titled this sermon, The Good News of Hell. The Good News of Hell. See, he, here's, what, here's what most... Most of us think Christianity teaches, or at least maybe you don't. This is what I thought growing up, okay? This is what I thought growing up about heaven and hell and about our life and about what the message of the gospel was. And, and I bet if you ask most of your friends who, who don't go to church, what they think about heaven and hell is going to look something like this, right? Um, basically, you live your life, and your life is kind of a pretest. It's kind of like having your, your learner's permit, Right? It, you you kind of have some freedom, but, but you're not quite, it's not the final test, right? And so it's kind of this time where you live your life and you decide what you think about God and you decide what you think about Jesus and maybe you try and do some good things or maybe you don't. And then comes the test. And there's this point where you die and it's the final test. 
And then God stands up there and he asks you about your theology and he asks you to tell him how many good things you did and how many bad things you did and he weighs out all those things and if you have enough good things and you believe enough of the right things, then St. Peter stands at some gate that goes to somewhere in the sky and you get to go into heaven and it's clouds and it's fun and it's nice and there's somehow gold streets floating in the clouds and there's grapes everywhere and harps and everybody sings and that sounds a lot more like this to me, but apparently it's this, okay? And so, or you believe the wrong things, you do more bad things than good things, you come to the final test and then you go to this place, subterranean, under the ground, where demons and maybe God himself just tortures and abuses you for all of eternity because that's your just punishment for what you did here, right? That's what a lot of people think Christianity teaches. The problem is, the problem is, is that that's not what this teaches. I mean, if this was the message of what Jesus was talking about, don't you think Jesus would be saying it all the time? If, if this was the message, don't you think that like maybe at the beginning of Matthew, maybe like in Matthew 4, 17, when he summarizes the message of Jesus, don't you think that maybe he would say, Matthew would have said, and Jesus from that point on taught, there will be a test and you better have the right answers. And then you get to go to a place in the clouds and dance with babies and diapers, right? And if you get the wrong answer on the test, You'll go under the ground and it'll be dark and there'll be flames. There'll be people with weird costumes that'll laugh in really high voices and poke you for the rest of eternity. Or for some of you, they'll try and tickle you for the rest of eternity and that would be hell, right? But he doesn't. Look, 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 look Matthew 4, 17. Look at this, look at this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. This is his message. Matthew is summing up. This is the beginning. Matthew 4 starts Jesus's teaching ministry. This is the message that Jesus is teaching, okay? Right here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is really great after you die. No. Look at what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One translation, it says it this way, and I didn't put it up here, but I really love it. It just says it this way. It says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. This is the message that Jesus is trying to help us understand. Every time we see healing, every time we see a miracle, is Jesus is trying to help us see that the kingdom of God is not some place that you just go to after you die. Yes, don't, don't like lose your mind and think like, oh, he doesn't think there's an afterlife, or he doesn't, right? All, okay, all those things are true. But, but when we simply reduce heaven and hell to this thing that happens after you die, we miss the message of the gospel. Look, look, it goes on. It says this in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news. We often translate as the gospel because that's, the gospel literally just means good news. It's, it's, um, it's what's called a transliteration. It's, anyways, you don't care. The good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom? The good news of the kingdom is that heaven is at hand. The good news of the kingdom is that heaven is here, is here. You see, when we reduce heaven and subsequently hell as something that only happens at the end of our life, we miss. When Jesus says, I came that you might have life, you might have it abundantly, he didn't mean that you'd have life after you die. 
He meant that you'd have life now. The kingdom of heaven is here. That you can have life and freedom here and now. You can experience the presence of God here and now. According to Jesus, heaven isn't just a destination. It's here. He says it over and over again. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He's talking to the Pharisees and he says, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is here. Let's look at it this way. Um, you, you know the story in Genesis? The, the creation story in Genesis 1. Uh, you may know it. it. It says it this way, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's weird. In, in, in this story, there's something missing. Because you see, it's, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The counterpart to, to heaven is not hell, it's earth. In the beginning, Genesis 1, when God says that he made this and it was good, he made this and it was good, he made this and it was good, you know what day he made hell? He didn't. Whatever hell is, this is an important starting point, whatever hell is, it is not a part of God's good creation. It's not a part of God's good design. This is the way God makes it. Heavens and the earth. And, 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 and when you look at it, the heavens and the earth, what we see in the story of Genesis, what we see with Adam and Eve, is that heaven and earth are intertwined one with another. It looks a lot more like this. That the kingdom of heaven throughout scripture, the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's um, uh, sovereignty is complete and unadulterated. Right? Like here on earth, we have free will. We have options to be able to do things that are apart from God. But in heaven, the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's reign is completely unadulterated. And so in Genesis, what we see in the, this is what happens in the story of Genesis, Genesis 1 and then 3 and all throughout the book of Genesis is, is God makes heaven and earth together. Because you see what earth is, God makes heaven his dominion, and then you remember he, he gives us dominion over his creation. So in his kingdom, he makes kind of a sub-kingdom that we dwell in that he says that we are to have dominion, to rule and to reign, just as he does in the kingdom of heaven, we are to in the kingdom of earth. And in Genesis 1, it all works perfect together. It's beautiful, it's good, it's all intertwined. God is with Adam and Eve, he walks with them, he, he spends time with them in the garden. Everything is good and just the way it's supposed to be. But then, you know the story, there's a serpent and a tree and rebellion, and then heaven and earth fracture. And this is what we see throughout the book of Genesis, is this explanation of this fracturing, of this breaking apart of the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. But there's this little sliver right here, and it's, it's the hope of the, of the Israelite people in one spot in scripture, it's called the tabernacle. A little bit later, they build a thing called the temple. And if you look at it, you study and you understand it, uh, the tabernacle and the temple is to be the place where God's presence dwells fully and completely and everything's perfect. Everything's right, everything's clean, everything's beautiful, everything's as it's supposed to be. 
Because to begin with, in God's great mercy and kindness, when we rebel and break away from him, and when we, each one of us, but all of us as humanity, push away from God and say, I don't, I, I, I want, I'm king, I'm queen, I want to rule, I want to, I want to decide for myself, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, isn't this something that we all wrestle with at some point in our life, I don't want anybody to tell me what I have to do, I'm, I'm a grown man, I can do what I want, right, and we all wrestle with this, and this breaking away, but there's this little spot where God doesn't give up, and it's, it's because of his unwavering kindness and love that God doesn't quit. He could have. In Adam and Eve, he could have just pushed them out of the garden and said, good luck. Figure it out. You're all going to die. But he doesn't. He comes to his people and he, and he, and he says, I'm, I'm going to do something. I, I'm going to do something to fix this, to bring this all back together. But you see, um, here, this whole space here, when we remove God from all of our existence here, something else is birthed right here. This thing the Bible begins to call hell or Gehenna or the Valley of Kindron, this, this, this darkness because when the one who gives life and the one who gives light and the one who gives hope and gives breath to all things, when we push him out, something begins to appear in that space. Now, see, if, if Jesus just thought that hell was, was a place that you go to when you die and that's all it was, then a lot of the stuff Jesus says wouldn't make any sense at all. I mean, just look at Matthew 23. Verse 15, this is, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 15. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now, now see, if, if hell is just a place we go to in the end, if a place, you know, heaven and hell and these two contrasting things, and you can go to heaven or you can go to hell. This sentence doesn't make any sense. How could they make him a son of hell, a, a destination, like make you a, 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 a son of Denver when Denver doesn't even exist yet or whatever, like the ridiculous thing. It doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. Unless, unless in the way Jesus sees the world, hell isn't simply a place that you go to in the end, but hell is something that we can birth in ourselves today. If hell is the place where God is absent, then hell is a place, a thing that we can unleash in ourselves and in this world today. James continues on with this thought. He says it this way in James 3 verse 6. He says, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. That's a lot of stuff to say about the tongue, and that's not good stuff. And sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. By hell. What James is saying is that with your words, with your very words, you can unleash the darkness and destruction and violence of hell. I mean, just think about, 
maybe where you work or, or go to school or, or your roommates, the kind of destruction and violence and brokenness and anger that you can do with your words. And what James is saying is, look, look, with our words, we can birth, we can unleash this darkness that we have no words for besides calling it hell, the very absence of the goodness of God. Hell, hell is not just something that you can go to after you die, but hell is something that we have unleashed on earth now. Jesus' answer to the evil and brokenness of this world is that there is an enemy who is unleashing hell today. I, uh, I listened to a, a, a TED Talk, a TED Talk or something. Anyways, I was lost on YouTube. And I was listening to this guy talk about the psychology of a sale, right? Which is just riveting. And uh, you, what you should do in your spare time is just listen to people talk about psychology of salesmanship. And, and he said this. He said a couple interesting things. He said, the best salesman in any store, every single time, the best salesman in the store is the customer. He said this. He said that which should make you really nervous about yourself. He said this, he said, the customer woke up in the morning and got dressed and took a shower, probably in reverse order, took a shower and then got dressed, we all hope. They got in their car, they GPSed how to get to where they wanna go. They parked in the parking lot, they walked into the store and right as they walked through the doors and the grocery store doors moved, they did this thing, they went, oh, oh yeah, oh good, I got my wallet, right? Because they came to the store to buy something. And he, and he says, he, here's what he says. As a salesperson, your job is not to convince someone they need to buy something, but to give them permission to buy it. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you ever noticed that about yourself? You're like in a store and there's a salesperson and eventually you, you kind of walk in, you're like, you're gonna play the hard game, you're gonna play tough, you know, you're gonna talk them down. You watch Dave Ramsey, I got cash. What are you gonna do? The guy goes, well, that's the best offer I got. Well, I'll take it. Right? But like the, the, the salesperson is talking to you and, you and you start going, yeah, well, and you know, I mean, if I buy this dishwasher, my cat's going to use the, the, the bathroom outside more often. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the guy's like, yeah, you should buy it. And we become the best salesman. He, here's what God's saying. There is an enemy, you remember the story of Genesis, who's whispering. And it's not... He alone who unleashes hell. But he gives us permission to rebel and to run. And we unleash hell on the world we live in. And you might ask, like, why would anybody want hell? Why would anybody, why would anybody want to see hell unleashed in their family, hell unleashed in their lives? Why would anybody want that? But here's the deal. We do every day and we love it. That moment that you get a little dirt on a coworker that you don't really like. Oh. oh, Timmy, Timmy, come here, come here, come here. I got to. Did you hear what happened to Susie this weekend? Oh, we love it. Our addictions, our lusts, we love it. And God is saying that every time, every time we are unleashing hell into His good world 
into his good and, 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 and perfect. You, you remember, right? It was supposed to be like this. But every time we reject him, we unleash a little bit more of hell into the world we live in. But remember, God didn't give up. Remember this little sliver? Like this is the sliver of hope. I don't know how well you can see that on a camera. I'm gonna get really close right here and then they can get really close shot up and this is gonna be really awkward. And then it's gonna end up on social media later for no particular reason. Little sliver right there, right? That's hope. Because in God's goodness and kindness, he doesn't give up. And, and here, here's, what, here's, here's what Jesus is doing. The kingdom of, God, of heaven is here. We have unleashed hell on his good creation. We do every day and we love it and we continue to pursue it and we continue to celebrate it and we unleash hell and brokenness in all the things of this world and we love to get revenge and we love to see people we don't like fail at life and we love to consume and consume and consume and we unleash hell and God comes in the form of Jesus to, uh, to, to, to make war with all the brokenness of this world. It's the good news of the gospel, Emmanuel, God with us. That it says this, while we were still enemies with God. He, hear that language. While we were still enemies with God. While we were still at war with God. While we were still the ones birthing hell into his good creation. He came after us. He sent his son to come and die. To make war. To push out all the brokenness. It's why he invites us to this prayer. That kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His, that kingdom come on earth so that, so that we could be a part of this, so that we could be a part of returning this broken, fissured heaven and earth back to the reuniting of heaven and earth. It's what you see in the end of Revelation. The last two chapters of, the, of, of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, and the last two chapters of Revelation, you, you have all this imagery and all these things going on, and, and uh, you'll, you'll hear things when you read it. You'll, you'll hear wedding bells, and, and you'll see a bride and a groom coming back together, right? And do, I don't know if you know this, but um, a, a marriage, in, in, according to the scriptures, a, a marriage is intended to be an image of, what, of the gospel of what God's doing. And so, you see, he takes two things that were separate, the groom, Christ, Jesus, God himself, the kingdom of heaven, and us, the kingdom of man, the, 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 the bride, the church, and he reunites those back to be one. That the good news of the gospel is that although we have unleashed brokenness and hell into this world, that God has not given up and that God will come and push out all that is broken and all that is ugly and all that is horrible and all that is dark and all that is wicked. And, and see, see, we, uh, on some levels, we really love this idea because we, we want justice. We want, people to, you know, we want people to pay for things and all that kind of stuff. But, but Jesus' goal is to do far more than we could fathom. You see, um, if, we were, if we were to just like get a random collection of a thousand people together, we could determine that there are some things that should not exist in this world. Right? Like we would say, for example, I don't think that there is a person around that would contend that child sex trafficking is good. Every single one of us would say child sex trafficking should be eliminated from this world. And Jesus says, yeah, child sex trafficking should be eliminated from this world, but lust should also be eliminated from this world. 
And, and we would say, uh, you know, genocide and the murder of the innocent, that those things should be eliminated from the world. But Jesus would say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But hate and pride should be eliminated from this world. You see, a lot of times with the hell of this world, the brokenness of this world, what we want to do and what we want Jesus to do is we want Jesus to kind of manicure and trim the bush so that it's manageable. Jesus, if you just kind of get rid of the worst parts, we'll, we'll deal with the rest. It's okay, it's not that big a deal. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to uproot hell out of his good creation to completely remove it. It's the promise of hope that we see in Revelation. It's a place where there's no more weeping. There's only rejoicing in life and goodness because all the unleashing of hell has been removed. And so we see this marriage of heaven and earth coming back together. And so you might ask the question like, well, what, what then happens to hell? And in Revelation, in the last chapter, it tells us that hell's outside the city, that um, the image it's talking about is this reunification of the city, uh, this new city, and then it kind of turns into a garden, and, and this kind of perfect place, and then it says that hell is outside the city walls. You see, in God's goodness, in God's love, in God's unrelenting pursuit of his people, he will eventually tolerate none of it. And he will eliminate from his creation all that is evil and wicked and broken and dark and violent and hateful and destructive. And that, and that's hell. You might wonder, like, and it's a question that gets asked often as well. If, if hell is like such a horrible place, like dark and fire and burning and destruction and weeping and gnashing of teeth, which I don't even know how you gnash your teeth, but it sounds not pleasant. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why would anybody want to go there? C.S. Lewis says that hell is the monument to human dignity and choice. See, if we're honest, we, we love, we love hell. There's so much in us, whether it's gossip or it's bitterness or it's apathy or it's anger or it's violence, we love it. If I was, if I was in an alley, I don't know why I'd be in an alley, why do we have alleys? Has anything good ever happened in an alley? No, like nothing ever. If, but if I was in an alley and it's a dark alley and for some reason I thought, you know, like every bad horror movie, oh, I'm gonna make a shortcut through the alley. And then I walk into the alley and there's a dude with a hoodie and uh, holding a knife. Good news or bad news? Thank you that one of us agreed. That is bad news. Right? At least that's what I've heard in the movies. Okay? Bad news. But if I'm laying on a bed and a doctor walks to me with a scalpel, is that good news or bad news? <laughs> you guys are smarter than I expected. Both services, I expected people to go, oh, that's good news. And then I'd have to be like, well, it's kind of good news. 
If you've never had surgery, you might think it's good news. And then you have rehab and you got drugs and you got blah, 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 right? Yeah, in that moment, if you were on a surgeon's bed and he has a knife and, and he needs to cut you open to remove a diseased part of your body, there is nothing but gratitude and gratefulness and rejoicing that there is someone so skilled that they can give you life again. But it's also terrifying and scary and painful. You see, what Scripture teaches is that deep inside of all of us is this power to unleash brokenness, this power to unleash the worst things of this world, and that Jesus didn't come to prune it to make us a little bit better people, but Jesus came to uproot it and it can be scary and hard, and there are things that we don't want to let go, and there's, there's bitterness and anger and fear and, and, and worry that we believe makes us feel more safe and more secure, and we're afraid to let go of those things, but in God's good grace to you, in God's good grace to you, he will allow none of it into his good and perfect creation. So my question for you today, not where are you going to go when you die, that's an important question, but where are you going to choose to live today? Are you going to choose to allow the brokenness and the bitterness and the hurt and the lust and the addiction to birth a very real hell in you today? Or are you going to allow Jesus to uproot those things deep out of your soul that you might experience a little bit more of the kingdom of heaven, that you might, that you might, that you might experience a little bit more of what he says in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. That maybe today, if you would have the courage to let go of the things, the, the darkness and the brokenness and, and the hell in you, that maybe today, in a little way, you could become a part of the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In the next couple minutes, we're going to sing, and then we're going to take communion together. And I just want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and to be honest before the Lord, because it is His good kindness and unwavering love for you that he will not let you go that he is chasing after you that has that as one theologian said that Jesus is literally trying to love the hell out of you and so may you experience grace and mercy life heaven today. We pray.